A reading from 1 John, chapter 2. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So what great love the Father, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now that we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. So we're on a journey. <laughs> Last week I talked our journey is to the Father. Remember that? It's a journey into relationship, not a place. The, pre- the place that's being prepared is our hearts, to be co-joined with his heart in love and intimacy. And so beware of losing your moorings to that truth. Remember those things that cause us to lose our moorings? The, uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the world in which we live will suck us away from our anchor and our source of life if we allow it. Um, the Antichrist, anything that rejects Christ, Jesus, God coming in the flesh with a word to be heard and believed and followed. And the anointing. Denying the anointing, not living into the anointing, the oil that has been smeared, that we are Christ's little ones, his followers, we're becoming like him. And that's kind of the theme for today. We shall be like him. That also has a ripple of excitement through the congregation. We shall be like him. Look around. See these people sitting around you. They will be the full expression of the Lord Jesus Christ. And say a little prayer. Bring it quickly, Lord. Come quickly. No one comes to the Father except the Son and those who are in Him. To be in Him is to be in the Father. So, the word is, 
continue in him. As John likes to say in his gospel, abide, remain, don't drift. That means his ways, his oneness with the Father and the Spirit. That is our life. That is our identity. That is our future. It's his likeness. So we're called to grow up into him. I'm not there yet. You may have noticed. But neither are you. So I grew up in a family of three boys was the middle. Always the hard done by the second born. It's a real challenge. Any other second borns out there? You, can, you, you, you understand that, don't you? You know, the first born, all the photos are taken, all the adulation. Second born, well, he's just in competition all the time. Third born seems to get treated like nothing like I was treated. Gets away with murder. Or it seems. Anyway, there's an incident once, and our parents had bought a, a new dining room suite. It was a, an oval, well, kind of round, but went to oval. And, um, and six chairs, beautiful wood. And they were out. And one day, me and my elder brother are not at peace with one another. And he so frustrated me that I'm after him, and I'm chasing him through the house. And in... And ultimately, that led to us running around the table, the new table, the expensive new table. And, and as he's running, he grabs one of the chairs and he pulls it behind him so that I ran into it. And I broke a leg off, just snapped as I fell into the chair. It was his fault entirely. <laughs> However, rather than... Now it's a case of, oh my goodness, what do we do? Now the focus has changed a little bit because eventually the lords are coming back, represented by the parents. You know, the lords coming back. Anyway, that wasn't a hopeful thing. That was a scary thing. So main tactic is to hide, to avoid. I actually took the leg, and it had a jagged edge, which meant it actually slipped back into place. And left to itself, you would hardly know it was broken. Snapped off right at the top, stuck it in there, and I put the chair at the side and kept quiet. Hoping, praying. Well, not a lot of praying, actually. <laughs> we went through several mealtimes with my using that chair, and I would, uh, I would gingerly get the chair would hold the leg as I'm dragging it to the table, sitting it down, and, and if I sat square, it would be fine. Nobody would know. Until one fateful day, I'm following the procedure, following the protocol, and I'm dragging the chair, and all of a sudden there's a plop. The leg fell off. All was revealed, except it wasn't. What just happened? The legs just come off the chair. We lied. I lied. My mother was so upset, she went back to the store and got a free replacement because it was obviously a default. We got away with it. At least we thought. They do now know, but it was probably about 40 years later that we told them. <laughs> when we were out of there, you know, home free. But... It's funny that 
as I was thinking about this passage, the Lord kind of brought that to my remembrance for some reason. Because I wasn't really acting like a child of God in that moment. I was hiding, I was lying, I was avoiding, I was dreading the return, and I just wanted to get away with it. Sound familiar? God doesn't want us to live like that. I'm going to try and share my screen again. Lord have mercy. This is the promise we shall be like him. What I just described is not meant to characterize who we are and how we relate to one another, running around the table, out to get, and certainly not how we relate to God through hiddenness, deception, avoidance, because we can't. So what's the alternative? The alternative is to gaze upon the goodness of God, the mercy of God, and all that he has done for us. And I think in John's attempt to call this community to a freedom of life and fullness, all he can do is talk to them about what God has done for them in the hope that that would prick conscience and touch hearts and lead them to a new way of living. What has he done? He says he's lavished his love upon us. This is what the Father has done for us. Great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Hallelujah. I mean, come on. Does it get any better? Now, to those who believed him, to those who received him and believed in his name, he gave a right to become children of God, but most didn't. As great as it is, we can resist that. He adopted us as his children. We didn't earn the right, but we need not come sheepishly as slaves. We come as full children with all the rights and privileges of living in the house. Hallelujah. And those who receive him, he says, we are born again, born anew. There is new life begins. It's not physical life, though it affects our physical life. It's not emotional life, though it touches and transforms our emotional life. It's spiritual life. It's union with the Father and the Son in the power of the Spirit. It's eternal life, because this is eternal life, knowing the Father and Him who He sent. Dear friends, we are now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. You see, there's this anticipation of what we will be. Peter puts it like this, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. God has put a seed in you. He has planted something in you of Himself, just as He did Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, get this. Just as He did Jesus of Nazareth, because that's our destiny. Man and God together, the God-man, that's, that's for us. It's extraordinary. And what he's put within us is imperishable. It's guaranteed. It's an indestructible life. We're doing a happy dance. 
And the consequence of that, it's a bit like the, you know, the acorn becomes the oak tree. And it's amazing. You look at the oak tree, what an amazing, amazing tree. And yet the acorn, the seed of the tree, has all the potential of that, that tree. That's in you. All the greatness of God is in you. And in that passage from Isaiah, the prophet says, we will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Gets better, doesn't it? Because as his face shines upon us, this isn't like Moses, who when he went up the mountain, they had to put a veil, but it faded. No, this is the new covenant of the Spirit. This is a glory that never goes away. It comes from the Spirit. Sinners, let it out. He's also committed to change us into the likeness of Jesus. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Seeing the Lord, knowing the Lord, is not just to admire him from afar, but it's to become one with him and like him. Live like him. Live for him. Live through him. Live in him. I'm running out of, what are they called? I can't remember my grammar now. <laughs> anyway, you know what I'm saying. We should be overawed with the beauty of Jesus because of what he's doing in us as much as what he has done for us. And that means we can't stay as we are. He's committed to forming Christ in us. And that is not just in you, in your personal life. That is in us because we are becoming one new man. Sorry, ladies. But only because of Jesus. That's what Paul talks about in Ephesians 2. The dividing wall of hostility has been broken down through the cross so that we can become one new man, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, all together, all one, in him, like him, for him. You know, when my, um, you know, I've talked about my grandson, Eli, Elisha, he's from Uganda. He's about three years he was about three years old when he was adopted. And he didn't live like one of us because he was abandoned at birth. He, he had not known what it was like to live in the security of a loving family where he was known and appreciated and held. I mean, that's such a sad thing. What's sad is when we've had that struggle to live like that as well. But now he's 11, I think he's 11 or going on 11 this month, and there's been a shift. He's become more like his siblings. He's taken on some of the characteristics of my, bro my, my son and his wife. He's learning to live like one of them, because in that is freedom. And if he held on to who he was, because that's what he knew, and in a sense, that was the only security he had. He would miss out on the blessing. Too many believers miss out on the blessing because we live like what we were rather than what we've called, been called to become. And it's been made possible because of the imperishable seed and the anointing that is upon us. 
Those God foreknew, Paul writes, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Isn't a beautiful picture of what adoption's like? And Jesus is the firstborn. He's the second Adam. He's the beginning of the recreation. But we get to join in the parties, brothers and sisters, like him. Oh, my goodness. What has he done? He's destroyed the devil's work. You know that thing that controls this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He's destroyed the power of that in your life. If you live in the, in the anointing, if you live in him, not on your own, hoping for something better in the future. No, with him and for him and in his power. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That work is to deceive you, to lead you away from God, to set you enmity against God, an enemy, and he achieved that. But God. Get one of great sermon, Martin Lloyd-Jones on the but God of Ephesians 2. Once we're enemies of God, but God. He's destroyed his work. He's paid the penalty as Jesus, and in doing so, the power of sin is broken. We have a choice. And so has the penalty. The stain of guilt and shame is removed. For we are children of God. The enemy took us captive. Don't give it back to him. We can do that. We can give him jurisdiction over our lives. How? When we don't abide in him, Christ. That doesn't mean believe in him. That means follow him. When we do not follow him, we're not abiding in him. We're doing our thing. So be careful like that. He's promised to return and complete the work. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh my goodness. This is our ultimate hope, people. He will come again. We are not to sit idly by waiting for that. We are because of that reality to press into something. And I'll finish. Well, I'll talk about that briefly in a moment. He's promised, but we know. <laughs> Do you know that when Christ appears, you shall be like him? I don't know how that is. That's mystery. But it's a continuation of what has already begun. Through the Spirit, through the implanted Word. And in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be like Him. And we'll be home. Not because we're in heaven, because we're upon the, the, the recreated earth. And we're with Him. We're in the house, the Father's heart. Thanks be to God. We're like the prodigals. We thought we were getting servants' quarters. We get the home. We get everything. Let's pause. Just be quiet before the Lord. What are you thankful for? As you look at this list, as you ponder what I'm reflecting on. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed at his coming. That is the Father's desire. That's John the Apostle's desire. That's God's desire that you live without shame. 
or condemnation or guilt or fear. I live with a lot of fear about the chair and a number of other things. God doesn't want us to live like that. You've just got to learn to walk in the light. Continue in him. To abide, to remain, to continue in him means to obey his commandments. If you're unsure about that, read John 15. That's where he expands upon that. And he says, my commandment's very simple. Love one another. That's it. But that's it? Yeah. The rest of his teaching expands how that plays out in practice, and that's what we're called to study and teach and obey. But it's summed up in this call, love one another. As he loves us. That's the measure. But for that to be a reality, there's something else we're to do whilst we wait. Meat on your plate while you wait. Not just pie in the sky when you die. It's now. Now is the day. So what are we to do? Verse 3. All who have this hope in them or in him purify themselves as he is pure. Purify ourselves. Remove all the things that hinder us in deeply loving God and his people. And our wives and our friends. Real people, real names. Who want the same as what we want. Paul says, therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Your life is not your own. It's been set apart for the purpose of God, to, to reveal the glory of God as image bearers of his Son. The more you like him, the more you're in his will. And that's what he's made possible. That is what he has begun. Turn from sin, selfishness, self-centeredness, self-control of your own thing, being the master, to self-righteous, to righteousness, relatedness, living and loving as God loves. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Because if you continue to sin, you've neither seen him nor known him. Well, didn't John say earlier, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth isn't in us? So how can he now say anyone who continues to sin hasn't seen him or known him? Is he contradicting himself? No. You see, there's a big difference between one who intentionally and deliberately and willfully sins and one who slips up and gives into temptation, is convicted by that, who repents, confesses, and turns back to Christ. Because I don't want to lose this sense of closeness and abiding in him. That is my chief desire. But the power of the flesh is still still has potential to distract me. But it's when we willfully resist and reject the Spirit 
That's what he's talking about, to keep on sinning. It's practice of living life for myself, living as I want to live, as I feel I'm called to live, living with what I'm capable of within myself rather than through the Spirit. If I treated Carol, my partner now of 50 years almost, not married, we're not old enough for that, but we've been together almost that long, known each other, but I can't treat her like I treated my parents. I shouldn't have really needed to treat my parents like that. There should be growth. (laughs) There should be greater love, greater service, greater laying down of my life. And we're all called to this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Did we not prophesy? Did we not drive out demons? Did we not perform miracles? And I will plainly tell them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You see, we're we're enticed and somewhat titillated by the miraculous, the paranormal. Miracles. And they're, they're good things when they lead us to freedom. But they're not good things when we stop there and don't grow into Christ-likeness. They serve no purpose. They're just a sign to cause us to wonder, is he real? Is he true? Therefore, I give my life to him. I'm not saying we shouldn't perform signs and wonders. Of course not. But don't stop there. That's not the most important thing. That's for children. What's for the mature is suffering and sacrificial living. How do you do that? My flesh doesn't want to. Of course it doesn't. But in Christ, you're not just flesh. And we give thanks for that. So, this is the call. This is it. This is the story. This is the celebration. You've been given freedom, absolute freedom, to do whatever you want. But don't abuse the freedom. At one level, there isn't the law. Paul puts it like this. It's a little complex, but I think to finish on this. Though I am free, belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. You see, his heart is for Christ, not for Paul. Goal is that others want to know Christ, and I'll do whatever it takes in order to reveal that through me. Those under the law, I became like one under the law. That's the Jew following Torah. But he says, but I'm not under Torah, but I'll follow it if it helps them so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, the Gentiles outside of the covenant, I became like one not having the law. I didn't need to follow Torah. However, he says, I'm not free from God's law. I'm not free from Christ's law. I can't so do whatever I want that I don't have concern for the commandment of Christ. To do that would take me outside of the covenant. Blessing. But I'll do whatever I can do under the framework of that in order to win those outside of the law. James just says, well, just keep the royal law found in Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then you're doing right. 
trust and obey, as the old hymn goes, for there's no other way. It's a life of obedience. It's a life laid down, not slavishly, not fearfully, but out of abundant gratitude. I cannot get over how much I've been given, and I just want to give back.